Hello. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded before the tragic killing of David Amos, an MP who was known for his involvement in his community and his concern for local people. Over the course of the episode, we do mention themes that are especially poignant and sensitive in the light of last week's events. David's death is truly shocking and further highlights what this episode is all about. That is a politics characterised by listening, kindness and truthfulness. We hope you enjoy the episode. Do you want to have any more months to months before we get going? No, no, all good. <laughs> well, this is super fun and exciting. Uh, it is the first episode of a new series of Faith in Podcast. Faith <laughs> of Faith. First episode in a new right? series. What's it called? That's a good question. The first episode in a new series of faith in politics the podcast the podcast um and um you might be listening and going hey those are new voices i don't know those voices um well let us um, put some names and some details to those voices for you um why don't you go first yeah so uh i'm beth and i'm one of the new hosts of the faith in politics podcast uh, and we're so chuffed to be here and to be recording this episode. Uh, so who are you? Who are you as a co-host as well? Yeah, so I am Ryan. Uh, I am the one of the interns at JPIT this year. I'm working for the Labour Party. I'm working for Cat Smith. Um, tell us a bit about yourself, Beth. Who are you? What do you get up to? What, what, do, what do you love? What do you hate? in the world oh well I mean uh, that seems pretty broad but let's have a go so yeah um I am the parliamentary JP intern this year with the conservatives so uh I'm actually interning for Derek Thomas which is a bit of a name drop for the rest of this episode uh and had that great start with him only been working for him for a couple of weeks so it's pretty fresh but really enjoying it so far uh recently moved to London for the role with JPIT and with him um I'm from Bournemouth on the south coast um what do I love and hate um I love the outdoors love fizzy drinks and oh, I hate olives I think olives <laughs> are just really unpleasant uh, but most other nice foods I enjoy that's a new fact for me about you I didn't know that you were anti-olive I mean I think most people are, should be. What about yourself, Ryan? Give us some more juicy details about you. Yeah. Um, so I've I've just graduated from uni. So this is my first ever proper job. Um, other than that, I'm a uh, a long-term Tottenham fan and a long-term um, Labour supporter. So the combination of those two things means I'm very used to disappointment in life. Um <laughs> And I've I've become hardied to to um to to always being runner up um and never quite winning. Um so I in I think that's built a great deal of, of, of my character and who I am now is has been shaped by those those two things. Um so Beth, we're uh, the the new hosts. So that, so naturally there is gonna be continuity and change um mm-hmm. for uh the podcast this year. What are some of our visions, goals, hopes for the for the new season of Faith in Politics? Something we'll be doing the same as we'll be having guests every month. Once a month, we release um, a full podcast. You might get some little tidbits extra here and there. And we'll be speaking to one person, asking them some good questions. Um, mostly they will be people who've got faith. And we'll be asking them what that means, what that means for them Um to have faith, but also to be involved in politics, uh, how they reconcile the two, what it looks like for them, in order to, for us to discover what it means for us, what it means for all of us to be politically involved 
as well as having faith and exploring what that can look like for us. Yeah, and one of the goals for um, how we're going to be running Faith in Politics is each month we're going to be taking uh, a JPIT value or a JPIT issue that we've highlighted and we're going to look at what um, faith and politics have to say to each other on that issue. And that's kind of that's going to kind of be the structure that we work around um, for the next year or so. Yeah, so our first one, so you're about to hear the uh, conversation that we recorded with Derek just to speak. And we focus in on the first of those JPIT values, which is a politics that's characterised by listening, kindness and truthfulness. And so hopefully that's a really interesting place to start as we ask him, what does that mean? Working in Westminster, in Parliament, and being so public, being so obvious in his community, what does it mean for him and the value of those things and integrity in his politics? And how important does he think honesty actually is today? Great. Well, should we jump into that then? That sounds good to me. So we're super excited to have with us today the first guest for our new season of the Faith in Politics podcast. Um, he's a man of many talents. Um, he's a dad. He's a builder by trade. And uh, now he's the MP for St Ives and the Isles of Scilly. And not to mention my new boss, <laughs> Derek Thomas. So thank you so much, Derek, for joining us today um, for our first podcast. So Derek, um, Beth mentioned a bit there. Uh, your your background and your your sort of various different jobs you've done. Um, we thought it'd be a good place to start. You know, what led you to politics? How did those different jobs wind you up as MP um, in an MP in Cornwall? That's a great question. And to be honest with you, Ryan, it it kind of is the other way around. So when I was in school, as a fourteen year old boy, I did a Saturday morning job, and if they still exist or not. But I did a Saturday morning gardening job, and I was working in the front garden of a property in Helston where the MP at the time, David Harris, a really beautiful, um, gentle, decent chap, came along uh, and just introduced himself over the garden wall and explained who he was and what job he did. And I just was inspired then. Up to that point, I hadn't really um, paid any attention whatsoever to politics or government or how things worked. But he just made me, he really made my mind think about what a interesting job that would be in our in our part of the world in West Cornwall so when I so obviously it wasn't the immediate thing I did when I left school but I went into building as a Cornish mason which is a particularly traditional type of building very uh, very close to lines to the National Trust type of properties so um, I did an apprenticeship in that job but at the same time got involved in youth work community work and over the period of back then in probably the early, late 1980s through to the 2015 when I became an MP. Spent most of my time earning money through building, but also working with charities and projects, sometimes as employed as an employee, with some of the most uh, challenging situations that people find themselves in when it's homelessness, severe disabilities, etc. So it was about how do I do an apprenticeship, if you like, of for someone who wants to represent a part of the world which needs some um, some really love care and concern so it was um it wasn't really so in the back of my mind I always had my eyes on wanting to be and feeling it would be good to be the MP for West Cornwall and the um and so I know that Cornwall is close to your heart um have you always lived in Cornwall and um, I know that you're living in Cornwall now Beth, I'm often re- referred to on the media as um, born and bred, and I, I never correct it because it's just embarrassing in a live interview. But actually, my parents are missionaries in Nigeria, and I spent the first year, three years of my life in Nigeria. My dad used to make prosthetic limbs um, for people who had uh, severe deformities from leprosy. And my mum used to work in hospital that treated people with leprosy. So, um, So that's how we kind of started life I was one of eight children and when my older brothers and sisters were getting secondary school my parents returned to the UK because of education and so we came back and so for the much of my 
conscious life I've been in Cornwall in the constituency that I now represent. But um, but I think actually I've always found, and I can't really compare it to having not been in the situation, but I've always had a really close interest and empathy in the developing world and countries where they have such um, such fewer privileges, if any, compared to us. And I think that does come from spending those years of my life, both with parents that cared very much about that situation and environment, but also just spending a few years of my life, even as a tiny, tiny boy, just living in amongst a situation where we, we can't really imagine it here in the UK. Yeah, thank you. I think that's a lot of people wouldn't maybe wouldn't know that about you and probably quite unusual um, as an MP to have um, yeah, such a different background. Um, so just want to get a little bit into uh, obviously part one of the reasons we've asked you on today is because um, you're a Christian and um, really interested in what that looks like. So you're, we now know that your parents were missionaries and um, I know that you have faith yourself. So what's that look like for you in your life up to this point? And I guess now as well in your job as an MP, what does that look like for you? Um, I, we use an example and it was um, it was a really important lesson for me and my wife, actually. So 10 years ago, we we had a son, Jordan, who was an absolute gift to us. But very quickly, we it was clear that he was unwell. And when when we they were in the hospital, various tests were being done because he just didn't look the right colour. And it became apparent that or through medical diagnosis that he was severely ill. And um, curiously, it was right in the time that I was fighting my first election. So it was 2009-10 when he was severely ill, spent most of his time in hospital. And the election that I was first standing in was 2010. And up to that point, I had been very clear in my mind that it was the right thing to be an MP uh, and for the part of the world that I represent now. But I had been, and I felt that was what God had for me, but I'd been doing everything that I could, uh, obviously with the support of Conservative Central Office and others, to manipulate and engineer that result. Uh, but obviously when you have a son who's very, very ill and uh, just needs a huge amount of attention and it is the focus, you actually have to put all that down. You have to just concentrate on the needs of the family and this young life. And so in that time, I, I had two things occurred. One, I had an enormous amount of time sitting by a bedside of a child who was completely helpless. Who, um, And that time of thinking through and considering why I wanted to be MP, what I hoped to achieve, whether it was the right thing, where it fitted in with my faith, actually really helped me to reset the balance. So it became, if this is what God wants me to do, it's for him to deliver the result in the same way that he said to Gideon, get rid of all those 30,000 army that you've drawn together uh, the glory needs to go to me not to you that's a very that's a message uh translation if you want a summary or a paraphrase um so um so so during so i learned two things really one is that i had to leave it for god to deliver the result he wanted and i had to just trust him uh that he would lead me in the way that he uh chose to so in the 2010, I got a decent result, but I didn't win. And then I had five years to kind of work much more clearly in my mind about what it is that I'd want to do as an MP, what my priorities would be, and how I would remain firm and true to the values that I hold. Mm. Well, that's really powerful and moving. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So really what we wanted to chat to you about today, Derek, is this idea about uh, integrity, um, honesty, and, and, and kind of kindness. Uh, these are these are JPIT values that we want to see in in politics, and we we think um, is partly what we're called to be as Christians. And so, I think if we look around us, um, around the global stage and the even the the political stage in this country, it's easy to point at figures, leaders who don't seem to be emblems of integrity um, and honesty on occasion. I'll leave um, that to you to fill in the gaps of who I might or may not be talking about. Um, And so do do you think that's a fair assessment of of British politics as it stands at the minute, that there's a bit of a hole where integrity should be? It's interesting because I take 
integrity very seriously and honesty is is just so massively critical and, and the foolishness of anybody who chooses an alternative to honesty must know and needs to know they will get found out I and mean, if you live if you represent an area of so talking about an mp for example represent there of 90 odd thousand people all told um there's no good you go into one area and saying i believe this to be the case and this is what we should do and then going 10 miles up the road and saying something completely different even before the world of social media and facebook etc you people that would that would catch you out and so so i i completely i i am completely consistent deliberately consistent about what i believe what i think is the right thing for the area even if it doesn't necessarily suit every part of the area now there's a way of communicating that doesn't dismiss or doesn't undermine people's uh, firmly held views or different views but uh, but it's foolishness to to think that if you're not honest and you don't speak the truth as, or certainly as much as far as you understand it that you're not going to get found out. And then when you get found out, you just undermine trust indefinitely, in my view. People can't trust you on anything. Integrity is an interesting one. I think the first thing I think we should recognise of every MP, and I'm certain of it, if not all, nearly all, 90-odd percent, is that integrity is what gets them in there in the first place. It's about why you go into politics. There's lots of comment about what we earn and the power we get and all the privileges, etc. And there's no question that we're well paid and and there are opportunities and access that we get that are limited to MPs and people in government. But the but a lot of people, if any, go into politics for those things. It you can go and do, get those things elsewhere with for a much easier life. And so I think the first thing that marks out politicians is what motivates them to go into into take that position to put themselves in a place of intense scrutiny or where they'll get as much if not far more grief than they'll ever get praise or gratitude uh, or friendship and so and they do it we do it because we really care about our areas we care about the country we care about the world and we believe that we have something to contribute to try and resolve some of those massive challenges address some of those inequalities and to support people in life chances so i think that um but the, but when we look at who leads us whether they're in number 10 or anywhere else in government or or in other world in other nations there's very little that motivates someone to get to put themselves through that then actually wanting to serve and do the best in their opinion now you might not agree with we might not agree with their view or perspective but ultimately they i think there's integrity for the very fact that they've been prepared to serve in that way but it is right that we need to restore trust in politics. I first knocked on doors in the middle of the expenses scandal. And while I'd never, ever set a foot inside Westminster Parliament, I was getting as much grief on the door as anyone who was probably serving in politics. And the MP that I was seeking to unseat wasn't in my particular political party, but it really helped me to realise that trust in politics was at an all-time low. And we haven't done a great deal to restore that. So... So I absolutely believe integrity. Integrity. I think we need to be careful about how we interpret what that is. But I think my message to anybody who wants to, to wants to have faith, uh, that wants to enjoy the goodwill, faith, and trust of people they seek to serve or seek to influence, is that if you're not honest, then you've lost your argument. Uh, kindness is a really great privilege. It's not. It doesn't cost you a thing to be kind. And I find that the greatest joy of my job is just to, to speak words of kindness or just to do small things that cost me nothing or really demand nothing really much of me, but really lift a life, lift a spirit, uh, just make someone's day a little bit easier. And I had a great discussion recently, in fact, Beth was in the meeting, where a gentleman and I agreed that if we could have every conversation that left uh, both people involved in that conversation feeling better. That would be a great, great um, commitment or principle to have. And I've been trying to do that ever since. Um, so I think that the, I think that would be great for, with social media, it's not easy to believe this, but most people go into politics actually because of integrity and no one deliberately 
chooses to be dishonest. The problem is the minute you start being dishonest, it becomes a bit of a nightmare because you just then keep having to remember what you said last time and maybe you continue to be dishonest. But, uh, but my lesson to anybody would be, it just ain't worth the hassle. So good to hear. And I do remember that uh, conversation with that gentleman. And I do think that's something that you do really well, Derek, actually, is to engage with people um, who have all sorts of opinions about politics and about politicians, um, having, you know, been in those conversations. Um, I'm just, you mentioned there about the scrutiny that you sign yourself up for when you put yourself forward uh, to be an MP, I guess, even before you get to the point of campaigning and then after when you've been successful. Um, I'm really interested to hear about what your experience has been of that scrutiny um, and how you cope with it and your personal life on a day-to-day basis. It's a, it's a really interesting one. I love living where I live and it's a beautiful part of the world. And generally speaking, people are really friendly. But actually, I didn't really realise, and I, and I as I say, I spent most of my life here, I didn't really realise that the minute you become an MP, you um, that dynamic changes slightly. So, so I'm less free to just do go around doing the things I did before, and it's not it's not because people come and speak to me or anything. It's just it's just that um, I mean that's great. I love that bit, but there just isn't enough time in the day. So, so if I was to if my wife would say go down and nip, nip in and get some milk. That wouldn't be a, a nipping in experience. It just takes an absolute. So it really changes your um, just being being a figure in your local community. Really changes a dynamic about how you relate to people, how you engage, and actually it changes the tone of the conversation as well. It's very rare that we have just I just have normal conversations and normal friends. Uh, some might say I never had friends, so it's it's no great change. Um, but the um, so that is that has been something that I've actually found quite unnerving because uh, it has it, it has changed things the coronavirus pandemic and the the various uh, positions that people have taken in relation to government action parliament action the vaccines whether the thing exists or not all those things actually have had a really significant impact and harm on relationships and friendships that i enjoyed up to that point uh, so much so that um people that i've known for many many years close what I would have said were close friends uh, have completely removed themselves from that place because of they take a different position or a, they take a more firm view on some things than maybe the rest of the public. So that's been really sad. But in terms of um, in terms of how the people, how how we as MPs and staff as well, which is a real shame actually, uh, are subject to to comment, it's the keyboard warriors, it's the people that would never speak to you in person as they do online. And some of the stuff that gets said, and sometimes printed in local media, is, is actually quite unacceptable and unnecessary and not at all helpful if to reassure people um, and to just create uh, tolerant societies. And I think that's regretful. I think we probably do need to change that. I think the media has a huge responsibility to be careful that they print stuff that is constructive and wholesome rather than just tear down individuals personally uh, because it seems the thing that they want to do. And social media as well, they, those platforms, probably need, we need to find a way of creating a more, more helpful, constructive environment because there's no doubt that um, there are people that won't go into this kind of work because of the exposure to comment on in various platforms. And there are lots of MPs that actually have terrible times. There are times where I felt at my lowest ever because of things that are said, even by people that don't really have a great influence or impact, but it's because it just catches you wrong and your mind does terrible things. So as we all know, people can say lovely things. And then one comment that it might not even be accurate or honest can really crush a spirit. And I've, I, I probably can cope with that better now than I did three or four years ago. But it is still quite amazing how it sweeps in and takes you out when you're least expecting it. And it really does damage. How do you go about choosing the way of kindness and the way of um, integrity in the face of those sorts of comments? How does one, um, you know, rise above 
uh, that sort of thing and not and not just responding in kind what's you know what's your process for that if, if you have one maybe you don't yeah so well to be fair mostly I would just ignore it uh, some there are some times where I will respond where I just think it's fundamentally unacceptable what's being said and we have occasions we have had occasions here in the office where we re- report stuff to the police because it's not just about comments said to me but it's actually a behavior that if we tolerate actually leads to some leads to a very difficult broken um society in lots of ways but the but the great thing about being a christian i think is that our confidence doesn't isn't dependent on what the next person thinks of us but how i feel as a person and the, and the reason i get out of bed isn't when i'm in a good frame of mind at all relevant to what people say to me in the street or what people say to me online or what people say to me in a letter. I want to be listening to people and aware of what their concerns are and wanting to do my best to hear their side of the story. But that doesn't define who I am. Uh, who, what defines me is a confidence that I have because I serve a risen saviour. I, I serve someone, a, a God who set about making sure that I and you and we have all that we need and have a security that comes I believe only from putting our faith in God and so so while there are occasions where I can be completely taken out when I'm unprepared I know that when I surface there's there's a confidence in the faith that comes through trusting in Jesus not in my own ability or what people might think of me and let's face it, if we if we allow um, ourselves just to be determined or defined by what people think, then that will we will be like little boats tossing in a horrendous ocean, and that and that isn't good. And that's actually a lot of the issues around mental health at the moment is about people um, getting their their uh, people getting their sense of well being and identity from others around them which is really the harm of and damage of social media, which we, all of us in any sort of public life, need to, to try and work against because um, people's lives are wrecked by thoughtless words and deeds and comments. And we just need to help people to know that there's something that they can be more, they can be secure without, and, and able to stand those kind of attacks, those kind of knocks. So the other thing I wanted to kind of ask you about then, on the flip side of that, so not so much the constituents' views of you um, or, or that relationship, but the broader relationship between constituents and your party. Does it ever, you know, how do you engage with um, that wider perception that maybe exists of, of all politicians that, maybe they're they're up to no good or they're a bit slimy or even you know Theresa May once famously said in that speech didn't she that uh the you know people perceive the the conservatives as the nasty party which of course I'm I'm not suggesting is true but that is a perception maybe that some people hold how do you engage with um this mistrust that is 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 maybe out there and how you know how do we um it's the name of our podcast restore faith in in politics in that sense yeah, well, well, I think that's so. Restoring the faith in politics and trust in politicians is something I've taken seriously from the from right at the beginning when I first knocked on doors, and the and I think we kind of covered a lot of it. It's about being honest with people. It's about being really clear that that while I might not share someone's views or opinions, or or even um, I might take a very different view, that actually people have the right to express those and they need to be heard and valued and understood. Um, I get absolutely get myself out there. I think I think the only way to address that is to put yourself in the way of constituents, and that and for two reasons. One is because our democratic system belongs to them, belongs to my constituents, belongs to the people of the United Kingdom. They have absolutely a right to engage with the people that are elected to represent them. So the reason I do these drop-ins, which I refer to one of them with Beth, is we're doing about forty-four between. Uh, early September through to end of November. I had several over the weekend where I just pitch up in a pub or a village hall, we advertise it beforehand, and I'll just listen to people's concerns. And some of them will be 
really difficult issues that they face, which my office will be able to help with. Some of them will just be wanting to see what makes me tick, wanting to know what my values are, wanting to know um, what what's driving me and what what I actually do represent in terms of values and beliefs and views. And so I, I think that's one way of doing it. But I think it's um, but I think it's about giving a good account of why I vote in a certain way or why I take a particular situation. I'm I'm privileged in a way, and it sounds a weird thing to say, I do not have a safe seat. And so if I worry about the election, I'm constantly on my toes. I'm constantly looking at how I can serve the area better, how I can represent people in a way that uh, they appreciate. Um, I often think for those in safe seats, the temptation could be, I'm not suggesting it is, could be that you lose contact with those people that you represent. And that's probably where the faith and the trust and the relationship breaks down. Um, whether I ever get a safe seat or not, I think I'll always try. My intention is always to be absolutely in touch and available and accessible to people wherever they might be. Uh, just to shift gear slightly, um, one final question before we uh, start to wrap up is this autumn coming up, we know that it's going to be a particularly difficult time for families um, all over the country and including in your constituency um, in Cornwall and Isles of Scilly with uh, increasing costs, so increasing household bill costs, um, some reductions to um, universal credit, and we know there's an increase in national insurance payments. So Derek, um, do you think that we're doing enough to support those families? And um, what do you think the effect of that will be in your constituency? Well, firstly, a national insurance increase starts in April of next year. And that is uh, only, that affects people earning over £9,500, I think. And obviously, it's a 1.25% increase, so it affects much more of those paying very high wages. I think for someone earning the average wage, it's about £180 a year in total. Um, but you're right about the universal credit, and you're right that bills are definitely going up. Energy bills will go up. Food bills will certainly go up. We, um, it is a concern. I mean, I live in an area where, where the lower average wage is much lower than the UK average, the English average. At the moment, it's about 18%. When I first got elected, it was a third less than the English average. So actually, there is improvement. But I think that the... So immediately, it's not, there's no quick solutions. And actually, throwing cash at this situation uh, isn't the solution. Your, your kind of three areas of integrity, honesty, and kindness, that's a really difficult one. The kindness in particular is the one that's most difficult to kind of interpret because... It might seem kind to just um, provide more and more cash to people, but actually what really works, having worked with people who are very vulnerable, who um, have all sorts of challenges in their lives, is to support them to manage money. So what we do immediately is very tricky and challenging, but we do need to get to a place where, we, where the low-paid jobs are valued much more. It's really important that we do that. We, we accept people that do our personal hygiene, care workers, we accept people that deliver our food, we accept people that harvest our crops. We accept, accept and sometimes expect them to earn less money or little money, and that's terrible. So we need to address that. But we, um, but we also need to really help people with things like high rents. We have ridiculously high rents in Cornwall, very high housing prices costs. So we've got to address all that. So there's policy that's needed to improve the accessibility of housing, affordability of housing. There's policies needed to get energy right down and renewable energy is the answer to that. Um, but we, um, but there is no fix, quick fix, Beth, and it is, it is properly developing policy that really has a, the proper impact on people's lives that will do that. The minimum wage is going up um, next year again. The, we, people will know that we've reached, we've raised the, minimum tax threshold to £12,500. So a family, potentially two people working, can earn £25,000 before they pay any income tax whatsoever. Um, so there are things that we're doing to help, but the issue is that living costs are racing more quickly than the money that's coming through people's homes, and that's a real challenge. And that is not easy to resolve. But it's better, it can be done by building a much better environment than we've had for a long time where People are paid very low wages and we want things very quickly, very instantly and very cheaply. But Beth, 
really tragically, there's no immediate way of solving the problems. But the government have put in um, 500 million pounds to after the universal, the change in universal credit to really make sure that money gets to where it's needed. And just before we finish, there is the, the, this 20 pound business about the universal credit. I don't think we should assume that that is entirely the, a negative thing. The, the universal credit is intended to allow people to earn money and still be supported with reasonable living costs. Unfortunately, in these surgeries that I've been doing, these drop-ins, I've come across two people now who are working the absolute minimum hours that they can work in order to maximise their universal credit. And that wasn't the intention of the universal credit, but it is, the, it is an unexpected or unintended consequence. And I feel really sad for that, because when I grew up, my parents worked as much as they possibly could to raise their family. I meet lots of people now who work as much as they possibly can to provide for themselves and their family. And there are still um, there are still people who are doing this. So one lady and one man, both in their mid-30s, not prepared to work more than 20 hours because they can work out a life-work balance that pays on universal credit. And what I feel sad about is that because of these individuals, it reflects poorly on all the others that actually really need the benefits and really need the support for their life chances and for the opportunities that they need in life. And so we, I would, my message would be to, to government policy, but also to people that find themselves in that position, work can be really rewarding in the right jobs that we enjoy and, and can thrive at. It's really fantastic to work. And I would love to find a way of helping those that really limit the work they do to, to, to discover that, because I just think it's a shame that people are sitting opposite me saying, I need you to keep the 20, 20 pound uh, uplift, because actually I don't want to work more than 20 hours. And that is the truth. I'm not making it up. These are people that came to sit opposite me and that was their approach. That can't be right. And it reflects badly on all those that actually really need the support that we give. Well, we of course love our work and, and would have this podcast for at least another 20 hours um but it must come to an end Derek uh, we're, we're very very grateful uh for you chatting to us we just want to wrap up with one question um which you can answer as succinctly as you can um we've spoken a lot about uh the bad things in the world um a lot of the problems facing the country uh issues with with politics and politicians but if you could crystallize for us what gives you hope going forward We'd love to know what that what that is. So you're saying that I'm answering the questions and taking too long, but I will answer really. <laughs> so firstly, is people. It is just the opportunity to meet people in person and just take something from them, their energy, their personality, their character, their vision, their passion. That is just the most amazing thing. And secondly, it's about taking policy, taking good ideas and good thinking to a place where actually brings about change in people's lives. That is amazing. And, and can I say before I shoot off, Tom Parker, uh, he, I chair the brain, all, the brain Tumor All-Party Group. We're battling to get better research and funding and support for brain tumors and also for patients. He's a well-known celebrity, part of The Wanted, on TV last night with uh, Tom Parker, uh, inside my head, just in a, having an incurable cancer doing what he can with the, with the life he's got at the moment to change the situation of people who have brain tumours. They're the kind of people that are absolutely inspiring. And for us as MPs, we should respond to that and change things so that we can get the, the results or the outcomes that serve the people that we serve. So people are inspiring and how they live their lives is inspiring. Yeah, thank you so much for being with thank us you. today, Derek. And we've really enjoyed hearing from you. Oh, well, that was so much fun. What a nice man. Lucky you getting to work for, for him. Yeah, he is so great. And um, I think it's so nice that we just got to hear so much about who he is. Yeah. And a lot, quite a lot in there that I actually haven't even heard before. So it's quite nice as a way to get to know him as well, considering we're working from the next year. 
I think you came up with some really interesting points that we'd just love to chat about. So one of the things that struck me from what Derek just said was the stuff we talked about in terms of scrutiny and mm. what it means to have a public life, but also how that affects his private life. It seems yeah. like it can, that can be a real challenge to, in terms of his friendships and his interaction with his family as well it's difficult it's you know we we can't really imagine what that would would be like what is the call on you as a politician you know how much of that is to be expected and to be accepted and even try to be enjoyed and how much empathy or sympathy should we have for for a politician in that in that situation yeah because he by choosing to be an mp that is what you've signed yourself up for you sign yourself up for to be very public and you know that there's going to be people always disagree with you. And I, I definitely got that impression from him. Um, even though he tries to build those bridges, it's impossible to be fully successful with that. And at the same time, he was talking about how personal attacks can be so hurtful. I think that really struck me as well from what he said is people can say loads of nice things, but if one person is really cruel, um, maybe even if it's untrue, how hurtful that can be. And yeah, even though they've, he's chosen to put himself in that position, I, I still probably think that it's wrong for him to be like attacked or yeah. lose friends. That sounds like such a difficult thing. It's funny, isn't it? Because... I guess it's it's possible for two contradictory things to exist at once here, which is that it's wrong that anybody might experience um, aggression, hatred, nastiness, unkindness directed towards them. And yet, even though in an ideal world that wouldn't be there at all, I still think, and it's something that came across in the humility and the gentleness of, of Derek to me, I still think there's a call on us as Christians to say, look, life's going to have some nastiness in it. And it's our job to. It, it, it's our job to choose love in the in the face of that. And, you know, it doesn't get more clear than that, than Jesus on the cross crying out, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. And But I think that's not an easy that's not an easy call at all. And I think it's a, it's perhaps one of the distinct calls on Christians in, in politics is to try and choose the way of love, choose the way of gentleness, choose the way of kindness in the face of, you know, uh, a discourse, which is naturally very adversarial and often mean spirited. Yeah, I think you're so right there, Ryan. And how we are called to rise above whilst also being involved, to not say, oh, this is really messy and difficult and toxic sometimes, and therefore I'm not going to get involved. It's almost like uh, as Christians, in a general sense, but also in terms of politics, that we're called to say, okay, this can be really messy and it, mm. it can be negative. Uh, and we'll talk about each other, all that tribalism you just mentioned. But yet we are actually called to be involved, to be engaged and to show maybe even another way of engaging with each other, another way of disagreeing perhaps. Because there definitely were things in what Derek said that I would disagree with and that didn't really surprise me, but what does it mean for us to disagree, but yet work towards common goals or have productive work together as Christians and um, in a wider sense, how do we all work together while still disagreeing across parties or across um, different campaigns, etc.? Yes, and I think it's interesting. I mean, a couple of times I think I made allusions to certain things in the world, certain people that um, Derek admirably sidestepped and and refused to to get drawn into. Um, 
And yeah, perhaps that's perhaps that's a really good example for us that um, that Derek, you know, obviously he knew that the the people I was alluding to and the controversies I was um, driving at in my questions about integrity and honesty. Um, but maybe there is maybe in fairness to Derek, he, he, he chose a higher path there, which was to offer something a bit more constructive and a, and a bit more um you know he only he only really sought to speak from his own um experience obviously there's a double edged sword to that which is you've got to have accountability and you've got to have standards in 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 public life so it's about i suppose trying to find a happy marriage for those for those two things yeah um, we are called to be engaged but yet also i, I do think that calling out dishonesty and identifying when we see it or hear it is still a part of that it's not that we don't do that in order to uh, keep that cooperation because yeah. as we we're talking about honesty is so important how can we have um public trust in the political system without honesty yeah so one of the things that in the chat with Derek that we just heard I found a little bit challenging um was his comments on how families are going to struggle this winter and the reduction in universal credit, etc. I'm sure he's in a really difficult situation, but it sounds a little bit like explaining it away when even though the minimum wage is going to increase, etc., there are families we know. Like it's been in the news so much lately about how many families are going to struggle through no fault of their own, partly because of COVID debt, partly because of um, losing their jobs or having kids, etc., and that doesn't strike me as something that I'm not, I'm not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with the idea of family struggling, yeah. um, whilst the political system kind of lets them down. Yeah, it's worth saying, of course. I I don't I don't doubt for a second the earnestness and the integrity and the kindness with which Derek has come to the views he's come to. But I do think we have to have real, we have to be really careful when we lean on explanations for poverty that blame or that are prepared to blame the people who are impoverished. I'd be really nervous about leaning too heavily on narratives around um, managing your money because, frankly, if you're if you're a disabled person who can only work a handful of days a week and you're only earning minimum wage, doesn't matter how well you manage your money, you've still not got very much money. And if food and heating is costing more and more, then it's going to be harder to sustain a, a standard of life. So I don't doubt that that of course Derek, and we didn't ask him about this, so it's not fair, but I don't doubt that Derek would do everything he could to help, you know, a constituent in that situation in his in his constituency. But I do think we have to be really careful about about narratives around poverty that blame the poor and don't wrestle too much with wider systems of of injustice. And uh, yeah, and his comments on those couple that he met in his constituency who maybe don't work as much as they could do because they don't feel like they have to because they get enough money from the system. Um, it felt like he laboured that uh, when actually we know that in a system of benefits, a system of state support, there are always going to be people who get try and get the most out of the system. But yeah. the vast majority of the people that it helps and it very effectively is designed to help our people who, without that support, would have no means of paying the bills mm. and perhaps are unable to find work or, yeah, are in difficult situations that we maybe don't know or understand. With, For example, with the reduction in universal credit, the uplift ending that we're seeing happen at the moment, it's also being removed from disabled people people that are actually unable to work. Mm. And so that kind of doesn't fit that narrative of, oh, if we pay them more money in their jobs or if we 
uh, find more skilled work and it'll sort itself out because that's not applicable for that particular group of people. I agree with you. So I think rightly we've pushed back on a couple of things that Derek said, but I think it would, you know, let's let's not be polemicists, let's not go over the top. I think there were lots of great things and useful and encouraging things that he said. So what from our conversation do you think you'll take with you uh into the next week or that will shape um how you think about uh integrity and honesty and, and kindness in, in, in politics um over the next few weeks? Yeah, I I actually found myself, I was really encouraged by our conversation with Derek. I think the thing that I'll take away with me the most is his comments and perspective on where his confidence is found, that in the face of scrutiny and criticism and div- division, that as Christians, we actually can still find our security in God in that context that we don't have to be deeply shaken by other people's opinions obviously that's easier said than done but it doesn't change the fact that our security and confidence is rooted in God and I just want that so encouraging that he holds so firm to that and that it's possible it's possible to hold so firm to that even in our political system. And therefore, even for me, I want to be secure in the Lord. Yeah, and what about for yourself, Ryan? What particular thing from uh, yeah. our conversation with Derek are you going to take away? Well, I just, I just loved where he ended, actually. I loved the hopeful point that he raised about just the joy of people. And he said, MPs should respond to these sorts of people and get the outcomes that serve the people they serve. That was his expression, to serve the people we serve. And I just thought that was a really encouraging snippet of how he views his his vocation as an MP. It's a a vocation of service above all else, and it's serving people. People is, is what it's all about in the end. And I think... You know, my view, Derek, was a little bit too optimistic about the integrity maybe of, of of politics on the whole. But what I don't think he was too optimistic about was the joy and the beauty and the wonder of of people. And I'm excited by that call to go and serve those people. Yeah, that is so great. So we hope that as you've been listening, you found it helpful and insightful and you've enjoyed hearing from Derek as much as we did. Um, I think we've had a, done a great job, Ryan, for our first yeah, one. If we do say so <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. And so we hope you've enjoyed it as well. And we can't wait to be back with you next month with a new guest and new things to talk about. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, you'll find all the links for the JPIT website and our different social medias uh, with this link to this podcast. Have a great one, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.